Thank you for choosing the podcast of East Haven Baptist Church in Brookhaven, Mississippi. For more information on the ministries of East Haven and to access videos and sermon notes from our services, visit www.easthaven.net. Whenever we talk about depression and anxiety and and worry, and we're, we're talking about like true deep depression, deep anxiety, whenever you bring that up, if you have ever experienced true depression and a season of true anxiety, you know that it is very hard to explain that and to articulate that to someone who's never experienced it. On the flip side, if you have never experienced that, it may be very hard for you to understand what someone who is going through that is actually feeling and actually going through. And if you look back over history, you find numerous people, numerous well-known people, numerous people we would think of, rightly so, as strong leaders who dealt with depression. Winston Churchill was so hounded by his own depression that he referred to it as his big black dog that followed him around everywhere. You find that uh, Maggie Thatcher, Margaret Thatcher, the the Iron Lady herself, as she was referred to, uh, this woman who was this epitome of strength, she once said that she believed that depression was just because people didn't exert enough private effort. And then later on, she was struck with her own personal depression, and she was found in many cases just be crying with her her head in her hands over it. You find Abe Lincoln suffered from great periods of depression. He referred to it as, as his melancholy. But not just political leaders. If you look throughout church history, you find Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, who, who preached and gave so many people, thousands upon thousands of people, whenever he was living. And through the, the, record, the transcripts of his sermons that have been recorded over the years, even thousands and thousands and thousands more people encouraged by his sermons. But he dealt with depression all his life. You find David Brainerd, who was missionary to some Native American tribes, dealt with depression. You have William Cooper, the writer of many of our favorite hymns, hymns that encourage us. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The man who penned those words dealt with deep seasons of depression, so much so that he tried multiple times to commit suicide. And then you look in the Bible, and the Bible is just full of individuals who are dealing with those dark seasons. Elijah was at such a deep, dark place that he's just begging that God would kill him. And of course, we have Job, who because of all of his loss was just in despair. And if you read through the Psalms and you see the writings of David and what he wrote about in some of his shadowy seasons, some of those seasons of walking through a valley, yet he's a man in God's words after his own heart. And so we look at these individuals throughout history and throughout biblical history and we say, wow, what's, what's going on with them? I, I say all that to say depression and anxiety is not a respecter of persons. 
So, so put it out of your mind, this idea, as Maggie Thatcher had at one point in time. This is what happens to people who are of weak constitution. This is what happens when people don't have enough faith. This is what happens when, when, when people just don't try hard enough. This is what happens when people just don't have the right kind of gratitude. No, it can happen for a host of reasons. It's not just spiritual in many cases. Sometimes there's a physical component. So before we go any further, I want to tell you what today is not about, right? I'm going to give you the knots, and I'm going to tell you what it is about. But let me give you a few little warnings about what this is not this morning. This is not a time for self-diagnosis. I'm not going to give you a checklist, and you go, you know what? I think maybe that's me, right? We're not doing that. And this is not medical advice that I'm giving this morning, all right? So... So this is not in lieu of going and speaking with a medical professional. So I want you to understand that. Secondly, I want you to understand this morning as we're talking about this, I'm not talking about getting the blahs, all right? I'm talking about true seasons of depression. I'm not talking about the blahs. I'm not talking about, well, our team didn't win the game and now I'm down and out. Well, no, that's, 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 not, that's not a season of depression. I'm not talking about, well, it rained at the beach vacation. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about the blahs. We're talking about a deep, serious season here. Let me give you another thing I'm not talking about. We're not talking about someone who, and I had a friend that was this way, and I'll say it that way. Um, I had a friend that would always come to me, and maybe an illustration would work best. Every single thing that went down, it was, I'm, I'm so depressed about this. I'm just so depressed about this. Let me sit and talk to you for hours about how depressed I am about this. And I'm thinking, you have an awful lot of energy for a depressed person, right? And it, and it was just the everyday, it was the drama, the, the trauma drama, right? It was just all, all the time. The, the, the kind of person that we talk about in counseling that is a frequent flyer, right? Um, they're just a perpetual counselee. So we're, we're not talking about elevating some minor concerns so that someone is getting attention. No, what we're talking about is a season of entering into a time of deep depression or darkness or worry or anxiety. And I mentioned earlier that there there can be a physical component. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and say, even among some of my pastoral friends, that is not a, a popular statement to make. Because I have some friends of mine who are pastors, a friend of mine, friends of mine who are pastors, and, and they are adamantly certain that all you have to do to get out of any depression is just pray enough or read your Bible enough or have enough faith or be grateful enough, and then that will solve it. And, and we, have, we have loving conversations at times about that. And, and just to let them know, sometimes it can be a physical thing. Uh, but I, I noticed uh, here recently, I was looking at LifeWay research, about half of the people uh, who responded in a, a particular LifeWay poll said that, of Christians, who said they believe, oh no, it's just all spiritual in nature. There's nothing physical about it. But there are some physical components. Now, where do, and sometimes that bleeds over. There's a it's physical and emotional and mental and spiritual, and it all is interwoven together. As one writer said many years ago, that the body and the soul and the spirit, they're so interwoven, they catch each other's diseases. And so you may be spiritually depressed, and that may have a physical manifestation. Or then again, you may be, there may be some physical issue going on, and that may lead to a, a cascade effect of all sorts of other things. 
And so we're not just saying it's one thing or another. But this morning, specifically, what I want to talk about is this. And I know you say, that was a long intro to get to where you're going. I know. But what I want to talk about is this. What do you do when you're in that season? So that if it is a spiritual issue, how can you approach it in a spiritual way? And if it is a physical issue, and you may need to go and see a doctor about this and get some help there, if that is the case, then, then what can you do on the spiritual side to make sure that you are staying in the center of God's will as he is revealed in his word when dealing with that? And I want us to look at a psalm. It's Psalm 77. I can say in times of darkness in my own life, Psalm 77 has been one of my go-to passages. And in Psalm 77, the writer of Psalm 77 is a man by the name of Asaph. We don't know a whole lot about him, but we do know that based upon this psalm, Asaph is in a very, very dark valley. And so when you're walking through that dark valley, according to Psalm 77, when you're in that, that depth of depression, what are some things that, that you're going to go through and what, according to Psalm 77, what is the flow that this writer goes through as he is dealing with that own sense of depression? Well, the first thing is this, in, in the depth of depression, we experience deep pain. Look at verse one, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. Now that's a, that's a positive. I'm going to cry out to him and he's going to hear me. Watch how this shifts shortly. In the day of trouble, of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. It's a posture of prayer. My soul refuses to be comforted. So the first thing he's experiencing is this, this sense of darkness. His soul is refusing to be comforted. He's crying out in the night. He's sleepless, and he's crying out to God. He's experiencing this, this deep pain. You find the same idea in Psalm 22, verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Psalm 6, 6, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. That's one of the, the worst things whenever you're in a season of anxiety or a season of, of depression. You find that in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, you just, you just have this insomnia. You can't get to sleep. You just stay awake and you just think. Some of you have been there. You lie awake in bed and you're just replaying these, these videos in your head and you're just go, it's going again and again and again and again and again and again and again. It's like you just can't shut it off. And then, like the psalmist, you, you may pray and you may stretch, it, stretch out your hand and it doesn't, it doesn't give you any sort of comfort. I remember there was a time that all sorts of things fell in a, in a four-day sequence one year for me. In four days, I always say that there was my life before those four days and there was my life after those four days. In four days, I had major relationship change. I had a major job change. And then I had one day of breathing, <laughs> trying, to, trying to get my feet under myself. And then the next day, I got a call from my mom where she said that it's official that your father's been diagnosed with Alzheimer's dementia. And all those things happened in a four-day span. And because of all sorts of other weariness and tiredness that was going on and all the pressures, 
then I found myself just slipping into a, a deep depression. And I remember trying to pray about it, and I remember reading God's word, and I remember, I remember some of my friends just kept saying, like, you just, need no, you just need more faith. 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 And I'm thinking, what I need you to do is just to be quiet is what I need. We all have those friends, like Job's friends, right? You need to, maybe I need to find some new friends. And I remember going to the doctor, and I remember sitting there, and I, I, he said, what's wrong? And I said, I think I'm dying. And he said, from what? And I said, oh, I don't know, that's your job. You're the doctor. You need to tell me. And so he did all my blood work, and he, he checked me out in the whole nine yards, and he walked in, and he said, um, okay, one thing. And I said, okay. And he said, your vitamin D is just a little bit low. And I said, I don't think, I don't think that's what's causing this. So he starts asking me questions. Have you any major changes lately? Yeah. Mind you, by this time, this was two, three months after those, that four-day span. Yeah, I have. And so I started telling him. And I started ticking the boxes. And he started asking me other questions. You know, what's going on with this at work? What's going on with this? What's going on? A wonderful Christian doctor. And he goes through all these things. And then he looks at me and he says, okay, um, have you tried to pray about it? And I'm thinking, here you go. Going to find new friends and a new doctor. This is going to, all this finding new people. And I looked at him and I said, Yes, I've prayed about it. And he smirked and he said, Didn't help, did it? And I said, Well, in some ways, no. And he says, It's because there's something else going on. He said, You have, he said, Let me give you, let me, and some of you have heard me say this, share this before. He looked at me and he said, Let me give you the medical term for what you're dealing with. And I said, okay. And he said, listen very closely. And I said, okay. And he said, you are toast. I "I don't think that's the medical term. And he says, well, it's a way that you'll understand it. It's your toast. He said, you have burned yourself out. And he said, so we need to, we need to do some stuff to try to help you get untoasted. Right. And I said, well, how long is it going to take? And he said, well, how long has this been going on? I said, total? He said, yeah. He said, what led up to those four days? And I said, ah, two and a half years of stuff. And he said, yeah. So you didn't get toasted overnight. So you're not going to get untoasted overnight. But there's still a spiritual thing we need to focus on. And there are some physical things we need to focus on. But whenever you are in a season of depression, there's just, there's darkness. And then that darkness leads to despair. Look at, look at verse three. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. And that word selah, that is a, it's a, a term that is used. It's believed that it's used to indicate a musical pause because this was originally to be sung. It's a psalm. It's a it's a song that is meant to be sung. And so that word selah is, a, is meant as a pause. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. So the psalmist is experiencing this deep sense of despair, this darkness of, of crying out day and night has now led to this despair his spirit is fainting his eyelids are held open he's still sleepless he's troubled he's so troubled he can't speak and so he says well i'm just going to remember my song in the night i'm going to meditate in my heart i'm going to remember i'm going to try to figure this out myself i'm going to try to 
think my way out of this. And it doesn't work. And he experiences great despair because there's a sense of hopelessness that is there. You find a similar thing happening in Psalm 44. This is Psalm 44, verse 23. Awake, why are you sleeping, O Lord? Now, the Bible says that God never sleeps. He doesn't slumber. But to this psalmist, it seems like he's asleep. Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face? Why do you forget our affliction and oppression? For our soul is bowed down to the dust. Our belly clings to the ground. Rise up. Come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. He's crying out. They're experiencing this great despair. And sometimes when you're in the midst of that despair, I mentioned my friends earlier, sometimes when you're in the midst of that despair, you'll have a friend who comes to you and just says something like this. Why don't you just snap out of it? Can I just tell you, if you're in a a deep, true season of depression, I'm not talking about just a blah. I'm talking about a deep depression. You don't just snap out of it. Why can't you just make up your mind to not be depressed? Why can't you just make up your mind to not be anxious? Just make up your mind to just not be that way. That's all you have to do. When someone says something like that, I usually know that that person has never experienced that season of depression. Listen to Proverbs 25, verse 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Someone who sings songs to a weary heart, someone who tells those depressed people, those super anxious people, those people who are really dealing with a deep thing, just get over it, just just shrug it off, just dust it off and go on. Just it's, it's, it's nothing. It's like someone who would go up to you on a really cold, frigid day and snatch your jacket off. Well, that that wouldn't be helpful. Or like the science fair project where you would make the little clay volcano and put baking soda in it and pour vinegar in it, and it would froth up. And then in an instant, it's, it's over. It's just a quick reaction, and then there's nothing left. There's nothing of substance. That's what it's like. Let me put it this way. This sense of despair, I've explained it like this before. And if you've ever been through a season of anxiety or depression, you'll, you'll understand this. It feels like you have been walking for miles, wandering for miles, through an uncertain landscape, like some sort of wasteland. And you have wandered and walked and wandered and walked and you have seen no landmark. You have seen nothing that will show you the direction to go. You've seen nothing that would indicate this is the correct path. And up ahead, out in the distance, you see this little speck on the horizon. And you start getting closer and closer to it because it's the only thing that, that seems different. You think it might offer hope and you, you wander your way over to that. And as you get closer, you see that it's a sign. And you think this is a great, this is a great thing. Maybe I can get some direction. And as you get closer, you see there's, there's a map on that sign. And as you get right up to it, you see this arrow that says, you are here. And there's nothing else all around that little arrow for miles and miles and miles. And you feel like you have wandered and wandered and wandered for eternity only to end up in the middle of it all. And now you don't know which way to go from there. Because everything else that you want to get to seems to be off the scale of this map. 
There's just this sense of hopelessness. There's this sense of despair. And you may say, oh, that sounds awfully dramatic. It can't be that bad. Can I just tell you? It's worse. That's just the best illustration I know of. So you experience this darkness, you experience this despair, and then that despair leads to doubt. Look at verse 6. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Or his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? You see what happens? He starts out in verse 1 saying that God will hear me. And now by verse 6 he's saying, Maybe God's forgotten about me. Maybe God's put me on a shelf. Maybe I've done something and God's angry with me, but he's not telling me what he's angry about. And that's the reason I'm going through this. Maybe he's forgotten to be gracious. There are verses that I find in the Bible and passages I find in the Bible that just break my heart. And I'll tell you one that every time I read it, it just breaks my heart to read it. And it's Job chapter 30, verse 20. I cry to you, God, for help, and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. That's the way he feels. God, I'm crying out to you and you're just looking at me. Not raising a hand to help. You're just, you're just, you're just looking at me. And it's not confined to the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's this, there's this little indication of some questioning and some doubt that goes on. Actually, it's a big indication, I suppose, of questioning and doubt that goes on in the life of John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been arrested and he's placed in prison. And you find in Luke chapter 7, verse 18, the disciples of John reported all these things to him. They go to, they go to, to John and they, they tell John, we're seeing Jesus do these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? Here's John the Baptist in prison, wrestling with doubt, saying, Go ask him if he's really the Messiah. Because I'm in prison and things aren't going exactly the way that I thought they would go. We experience deep pain whenever we're going through a time of depression or anxiety. And, and can I just tell you, that, um, that emotional and mental and spiritual pain can be manifested in physical pain. The problem is, you just can't point to an area and say, it hurts here at my elbow. Or it hurts here at my knee. It's just a generalized, you just hurt. And so there's this, there's this time where we experience deep pain. But then notice, here's the change. Look at verse 10. How do we respond? Whether it's physical or spiritual, whatever's going on, we respond in deep worship. However deep that pain is, just go deeper into worship. Look at verse 10. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your works of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Asaph turns around and just praises God. He responds in, in deep worship. That's really hard to do whenever you are in that season of anxiety or depression. It's really hard to worship. But yet, this is what we are to do. You find one of the greatest expressions of this in the life of Job. Job has lost 
He's lost family. He has lost possessions and livelihood. He has lost his physical health. And all those things befall him. And notice the words of Job. This is in Job chapter 1, verse 21. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. He's not, he didn't bring anything with him. He's not going to take anything with him. The Lord gave. Now that's easy to say, right? It's easy to praise God when God's giving. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's easy to praise God when he's giving. But to be able to say, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We are to respond in deep worship. A few months back, we looked at the book of Habakkuk. And the end of Habakkuk, after God has told Habakkuk that all these things are going to come upon the nation, listen to what Habakkuk says. Habakkuk 3.17, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no more herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. No matter what happens circumstantially that may lead him to despair, he recognizes he's going to respond in deep worship. Because we recognize that that worship is the right thing to give God regardless of what circumstance we are going through. God is not worthy to be praised only because we're going through a good, positive, favorable circumstance. God is worthy to be praised no matter what circumstance we are in. God is worthy to be praised when we are in high cotton. God is worthy to be praised when we are in a hard scrape. God is worthy to be praised all the times in between. God is worthy to be praised regardless of the circumstances. He's still worthy. So we can't, we can't look at, I'm going to praise him when things are good. I'm going to praise him when things are favorable. I'm going to praise him when things are going well. We praise him regardless because he's worthy. We, he's absolutely worthy. And we praise him recognizing that God is ultimately going to work things toward his end. And his end is always good. Even if we may not see that worked out here on earth in this lifetime. We might, but then again, we might not. This is, uh, this is found in Psalm 126, verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. That's the hardest part, is that sowing in tears. Some of you, and I know this because of a group this size, there's bound to be some of you that are thinking about tomorrow morning where you're going to have to get up and you're going to have to just do your, your everyday life stuff. And it just seems absolutely wearying to you, not because you're bored of it, but because you are having such a hard time and you're in such a dark season that you're supposed to go and you're supposed to sow in tears. You go and you do the work and you do it through tears. But can I tell you, you just keep sowing. You keep sowing. You keep going. Because what will happen? You're going to reap with shouts of joy eventually. You will. But the hardest part is just that sowing in tears. The hardest part is that day-to-day obedience and praising God regardless of the circumstance. But that's what he calls us to. And then after this, after we, we respond in that deep worship, even in the midst of our deepest despair and pain, we develop deep trust. Look at verse 16. 
the psalmist, Asaph, thinks back to the Red Sea crossing. The crossing of the Red Sea. And he says, when the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows, the lightning flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind, your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook your way, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters. Yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. They, they followed God as God parted the Red Sea. Another seemingly hopeless situation that God brought them through. But notice what God did. He brought them literally through. Your way was through the sea. Whenever we're going through that season, we recognize that sometimes his way is right through the middle of that darkest valley. Listen to Isaiah 43, verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. God making this promise to his people in the Old Testament, saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to leave you. When you're going through these seasons and the places of darkness and these places that would overwhelm you or consume you i'm going to be with you why because notice his way was through the sea and the bible tells us in psalm 18 verse 30 this god his way is perfect can i just tell you one of the hardest things the hardest things is is continuing to walk in that path and just trust God for every step of that way, even in the darkness, when you don't see a whole lot of light for that next step, but you see enough to make that step, just barely make that step. And as you trust in God in that moment, day by day, moment by moment, it's an opportunity to trust God in a deeper, richer, more personal way as you surrender to him and what happens out of that we learn who god is we learn that his word is trustworthy psalm 119 verse 71 it is good for me that i was afflicted that i might learn your statutes those painful opportunities are an opportunity or are opportunity opportunities for us to know god and know his word in a deeper way than we ever thought possible Sometimes when we are hurt most deeply, that is an opportunity for God to show us his love and his care and his mercy most clearly. Now, I know that's a hard thing. And I know if you're in the middle of it, you're saying, oh, but it's just so hard. I know. Believe me, I, I know. But we are to continue trusting him. I mentioned William Cooper earlier. William Cooper struggled with suicide suicidal thoughts uh, for much of his life and he wrestled with depression he wrestled with anxiety and again he wrote many of our most beloved hymns and it was out of one of those deep dark seasons that he wrote an old hymn that goes like this god moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform he plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm just as Asaph calls back that passing through the Red Sea, here William Cooper 
dealing with depression and anxiety, says, God moves in a mysterious way. His way is holy. His way is perfect. His way is through the waters, but his way is a mysterious way. That's what Asaph said back in verse 19. Yet your footprints were unseen. Sometimes it's hard to see where God may be leading us. But God has our best and his glory in mind. William Cooper continues, his purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. You may be going through a time where right now the bud is bitter. But God's promise is that eventually, one day, whether here or on the other side, the flower is going to be sweet. And that's what he promises you find in Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That will happen one day. Right now we struggle, we groan, we cry, we lament. Sometimes we may despair. But God is still God. And he is still worthy to be praised. He is still worthy to be honored. Regardless of what circumstance we find ourselves in. And can I just tell you, in your deepest, darkest time, God wants to be seen. God wants you to know him in a deeper way than you ever thought possible. Will you trust him? If you've never trusted him for your Savior, will you trust him as Savior? That Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died a death in our place so that we could have eternal life? So that we could have that hope that this is not it. That all the despair and the pain and the anguish and everything we go through here because of sin. And that's the reason we struggle with all of those things. Jesus is, is one who says, I'm going to make all things right. And I'm going, to start, I'm going to start with my people. I'm going to start with those who know me, who trust me. And not, not that that doesn't exempt us from physical pain. It doesn't exempt us from depression or anxiety. By no means. But there is then a purpose. A purpose is to bring glory and honor and praise to God. And we can be lights and beacons to other people and and let them know of the hope that we have found only in Christ. Only in Christ. Regardless of the circumstance. Our hope is only in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you. And God... You know, over this last week, I've been praying. And I've been asking you to give me the sermon that I would have needed in that season. And I pray that and trust that this was that. So, Father, I pray for anybody here who's walking that valley, for anybody here who's stumbling through and wandering through that wasteland, for anybody here who is, who is fearing tonight, fearing to crawl into that bed because they know that they're going to lie and stare at the ceiling and with tears streaming, they're going to call out to you and they're afraid that they're afraid it's going to feel like you're not listening. For those who are going to get up tomorrow morning and they're going to have to, they're going to, have to strap on that, 
that seed bag and they're going to have to go out and sow through tears all through the day tomorrow. Father, I pray that your word would do exactly what you want it to do in their lives. And Father, I pray for anybody here that that may have never experienced depression. God, what a blessing that is. Thank you for blessing them in that way and keeping them from that. I pray they never have to experience that. But God, God, I pray that you would equip them so that when they encounter somebody among their family or friends who is going through it, that you might give them a heart of compassion and a heart of understanding and help them to better understand what those people are going through. And Father, I pray for those that they may be here today, they may be watching or listening, and they don't know you. There's no, there, there's no, there's no hope. I'm not just talking about in a depression sense, but th- their life holds no hope. Because they have never placed their faith and trust in Jesus alone. Father, I pray today would be the day that they would say yes to Christ. They would surrender their life fully to Christ and to his leadership and his guidance. His mercy and his transforming power so that they may become children of God. Father, I pray for any decision that needs to be made today. Maybe somebody just needs to come to the altar and pray. Maybe somebody wants to come to the altar and pray for someone they know that's dealing with these things. Whether it's joining the church or being baptized or wanting to know more about how they can know Christ, I pray that whatever the decision is, that you might grant your boldness, your courage in stepping forward. Father, I pray again for anybody here who may be struggling. I pray that today would be Today would be a fresh breath of air to someone who feels like they're drowning. And I pray that you would bring them safely through those deep waters and set their feet upon solid ground out of your love, out of your mercy, and in your wisdom so that they may know that your way is perfect, your way is holy, and your way may be through the waters. But Father God, you never will leave them alone. May they know that in a deep and personal way, like they've never known it before. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of us will be here at the front. You respond during this time as God leads. Let's stand this morning. Just as I